So think about think about stones like that. That as you're transporting this rock over time, it's rounding out. It's getting rid of the rough edges. It's smoothing itself out. So glacial erratics generally are rounded or subrounded. So subrounded is it's not exactly round. So it got some quote unquote sharp edges, but it's mm-hmm. like you know stubby. That's subrounded, and that's usually it's indicative of a transport. The glacier is transporting these things there. So like most time you'll see granite class or granite boulders in the Catskills. They're round because they came from a very far distance, at least 100 miles away from the Adirondacks wow. or from the Canadian Shield all the way up in, you know, north of the St. Lawrence. So they are absolutely erratic. Now, a lot of times you see in these trails, like actually I just look at Alligator Rock or Gator Rock, however you want to call it. That has a little bit of roundness to it, but also it's still sharp. It's still got these sharp angles. So it's probably what's called talisope, which is the north slope of these mountains. You get this freestyle action. It's just falling off a cliff. So you get a pile of these sharp rocks. And a lot of times that's what you see. It's just a local bedrock that's been fractured over time. That's a natural occurrence, but it's not glacial board. So you want to call that an erratic. It just be a boulder. The bushwhacks were some of uh, the worst days I've ever had in the mountains, or life, really. And I tell people all the time, never underestimate the Catskills. You can't underestimate them. Why the Catskills is such a great place for trout. It was really the development of New York State. Catskills were responsible. Now you're listening to Inside the Line, the Catskills. So, Carl, um, have you heard about the uh, DEC unit management plan about the Peak and Moose Blue Hole parking? No, I've not. It's the first time I'm hearing about it. So, yeah. So, we there are very limited spots available for Peak and Moose Blue Hole parking and for hiking Peak and Moose Mountain. I mean, it's it's very, very limited for us hikers and then for the, the tourist people that go there all the time. But apparently, they're having a new plan to expand that parking area and to make it more available for people. Uh, especially I'm guessing the tourists because they plan on having a 30 to 40 parking spot area. And I'm guessing it's going to be over towards the Western side of it where the camping grounds is. So that'll be an interesting topic to talk about. Yeah. I mean, if we have to, uh, if you do the same thing as like they do in national parks, they have all these permits based on time. Is that if they're going to utilize something like that, or if it's going to be hiking only at this spot versus swimming only at this spot. Yeah, help out the hikers and everyone else as a whole. Yeah, that's a good point because we all know the the blue hole blew up within the last couple of years because of social media. It's been crazy, definitely. Yeah, hopefully we'll look forward to that, and hopefully they'll get some other plans for that. Because I mean, you know, of course, Panther Mountain is one of those places that uh, suffers from parking. I'm hoping to get there at some point. Now, now I'll have to mm-hmm. understand what that's like. You haven't been uh the Panther Mountain yet? No. Ooh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that's 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 fun, especially you like to go on the weekends, so that'll be fun. You gotta get there super early. Well, I, I don't like I just get forced to work during the week. <laughs> yeah. One of those suckers. Yeah. So yeah, also, you know, I'm working with the Alzheimer's Association for the longest day to make something happen in the Catskills. I mean, you're familiar with the 48, right? In the New Hampshire? I'm a 48er. What number are you? 17,129. Nice. 
Congratulations. I think we're called 48ers. I don't know if it's AMC 48ers. I don't know if we're, maybe we're sponsored. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I was curious of that as well because they have the 46ers. I don't even think we're called the 35ers. I don't, I don't I think don't. we're called it. Yeah. But I'm looking to uh, join in with the, the Alzheimer's Association to get the longest day here in the Catskills. Um, they have that. Uh, it's actually called the 48 Peaks, uh, Paint the per- Peaks Purple up in New Hampshire. And it's actually a fanat- fantastic time. They have everybody go to the top of the mountains and everybody wears purples. They have a flag flying up there, stuff like that. It's fantastic. It's on the longest day of the year, June 21st. So hopefully I'll work with them and then get that going through social media. And we'll we'll get those the peaks here painted purple, hopefully, or even just anywhere to raise awareness of all Alzheimer's and uh, other topics of Alzheimer's. And you know that the funny thing is, I had a talk with the the ladies in the Alzheimer's associations of the Catskills in the Hudson Valley region, and you know they told me some stuff I didn't know. I didn't know Alzheimer's was the only like one of the few that has no cure. Yeah, it's take with like dementia. I've I've had a few family members with that, and yeah, it's it sucks. It's a terrible disease, and hopefully someday they will have a cure, at least a way to ease it. I guess it would be the way ease the onset or ease the uh, the symptoms. Yeah, definitely, it's uh, it's definitely tough, but hopefully we'll work with with them and and getting them in here in the Catskills region and, and outside of the Hudson and stuff like that. That'll be a really cool project to start off with. So uh, welcome everyone to episode 70 of Inside the Line of Catskills. I'm here with my friend, geologist Carl Backus. He's here to talk about the great geology in the Catskills and the many questions that I have for the Catskills that I've been hiking in. And I just have so many questions and no, I wouldn't say no one's been able to answer them, but a lot of people give me some weird answers. So I'm going to get some professional answers from carl here tonight well man i've i've had to listen to 69 episodes to prepare for this so yeah right <laughs> 69 <laughs> nice oh nice <laughs> yeah that's a nice one nice um thank you to the monthly supporters darren white vicky ferrer john comiskey jim c michael Bogner, david mead matt smith and sharon klein guys thank you for supporting the show i really appreciate it Thank you to our sponsors, Outdoor Chronicles Photography. Um, she specializes, Molly specializes in adventure elopement and adventure couple photography in the Catskills, Adirondack, and White Mountains. Also, don't forget your pets. You can take amazing pictures with your pets. They're just important. She's also an officiant for getting married and a licensed guide, so don't hesitate to get a hold of Molly on all platforms. Molly, thank you for donating and supporting the show. Also, Trailbound Project, my friends uh, Joe and Scott from the New Jersey Search and Rescue team made a back backpacking hiking school down in New Jersey. If you need anything uh, to learn about, these guys are the guys to teach you about it. They are phenomenal. The resume is amazing resume. I've never seen so many people skilled in mountain rescue and you know anything. They can teach you anything from compass guiding to uh, bear attacks, I guess, is their new thing, which is really crazy. Uh, fire starting skills, shelter building skills, backpacking, anything, snowshoeing, get a hold of them. Trail on project, I'll have them in the show notes. Also, Camp Catskill in Tannersville, uh, store round price that has everything you need for hiking. Check them out online. They have incredible stuff like hill sounds, snowshoes, t shirts, you know, moisture wicking shirts, moisture wicking pants, socks. Anything that you need last second that uh, you might want to pick up, 
stop at Tannersville and Camp Catskill definitely has it. Also check out their online store. Very, very awesome. They also have memorabilia from the Catskills and stuff, t-shirts, stuff like that. Also, like to thank Scenic Route Guiding for coming back onto the show. Scenic Route Guiding was one of our, well, was our first sponsor of the show way back when, when I first started and I knew I kind of wasn't going to be getting anywhere. And here we are 70 episodes later. So Sarah, thank you for being a sponsor of the show again. Check out Scenic Route Guiding online. Her guides are absolutely phenomenal in the Catskills and the Adirondacks. They rip it up and they are amazing guides that will just uh, keep you going till the end. So, Carl, what did you have to drink? Because this is our kind of second recording. So I had a, a tin cup whiskey on the rocks. Okay. Uh, tin cup is a distilled at a mile high and outside Denver, Colorado. And the cap is actually its own shot glass. It's oh. a tin cup shot glass. <laughs> no way. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's a cool bottle. But then I also had the uh, the late Tiavana stores. I don't know if you remember those. Tiavana. Uh, yeah, my my wife my wife worked with them before they closed. Uh, I have a chai tea that I had also because it's late in the night. Nice. So where did you get that Tim Cup whiskey at a local uh, liquor store? Or did you actually yeah. travel to Colorado? So, so it was uh, before we knew how the algorithms on Facebook worked. This showed up one day when I was an undergrad and I wanted to try it and I had it ever since. So I've had this bottle by eight years. I just finished it tonight. Nice. That is uh, yeah, I'm fantastic. You got to finish it on here. What's the proof on that, baby? That's a good question. That's, I can't be good stuff. Oh, okay. 42% alcohol by volume. So what is that? 70, I think. Yeah. Nice. That's not bad. That's not bad. I can't, I, I seriously don't know how you guys drink it straight up. I can't do that. Sometimes I'll actually mix it with a seltzer, like mm-hmm. a flavored seltzer. It, it actually adds to it. But I had I had on the rocks last night, not tonight, because it's it, it's just smooth drinking. Nice. I like I said, I can't I can't believe somebody can hit that on the rocks. It's just <laughs> uh, it'll kill me. It'll it'll make me be like, ooh, I got to sip this really fast, and then I'll get hey, wasted. Hey man, my first uh, college drink was in freshman year, and it was a uh, Captain Morgan and Hawaiian Punch. So I hear you. Hell yeah. <laughs> Captain Morgan, Hawaiian Punch, or Captain Morgan and Lemonade, basically. Yep. Oh, God, those days. Well, I'm having a Rev Spirits and, and rum right here. I mix those two together. It's actually really good. It's almost like on the rocks, but it's not like as hard as a whiskey. Now, is it the Rev Spirits? Is that a mixer or is that alcohol with it? It's it's just an, it's an alcohol, straight up spirit from uh, Stanford, Jefferson, New York. It's made from mead and... and Oh, I yeah. love the mead. It's so we need smooth. more of those. We need more meaderies. I know, right? There's not a there's not a lot, which is which is absolutely insane. There's breweries every ten feet, <laughs> but the mead places, the places that has the mead, that, that this stuff is so smooth and it's deadly. It's very deadly. Right. <laughs> I have to get some local stuff. Like you said before, we have to do get as many local things as possible. So now that I'm opening space in my liquor cabinet, I can have more. I want to try rep spirits. I do want to try them. Yeah, they're good. The only after listening to your podcast, learning all these different areas in the Catskills, that's one benefit of this podcast and learning of these different things out, out there. Well, thank it's, you. It's it's like the uh, like your post yesterday or the day before that about the Big Nell Thrush IPA. Right. So right. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a sec. Yep. Yeah. So any previous hikes, sir? Uh, I did the Blackhead Range. I saw from Thomas Cole on uh, Presence Day in my winter hike with no snow. 
I mean, that's, that's whatever. It counts, right? Not the, a little bit of the summit, but it's mostly ice uh, on the east east side of Blackhead. Uh, so we started Big Hollow and hiked up to, to the, went up to the top of Black Dome, came back down, lost my water bottle in the way. I forgot to mention that. Oh, no. But I had to, so we got down to the elevation and bushwhacked up and found it up in this little hollow. Off. It was one of the uh, overlooks when you're coming down Black Dome to the east. Oh, nice. Was, I, I put it down. It just poop, popped out and flew out. I'm like, ah. And it's one that had your, your uh, now the collectible sticker on it. Oh, yes, yes. I remember those pictures you took. Correct, correct. The um, collectible. Uh. But, uh, you know, it, now that I officially completed the Blackhead range, I did. I, I looked up, looked it up. I, so I started from Camp Trimount in 2012. Well, 2011, sorry. So 12 years ago, I hiked a bushwhack in the winter up the top of Thomas Colfin Camp Trimount, which is west of Colgate Lake. Mm-hmm. So we did that with the Boy Scouts and hiked up to the top. And like my father said, there's going to be this awesome view from the top. And I just kept telling us, because we're like, why are we doing this? Why? What? There's so many trees. Why are we up here? We got there <laughs> and there's more trees than we thought there were. But yeah, we did it. No. You know, we did it. So and then with the no. North South Lake the following year as a, uh, I guess as a, what's, as a gift for, yeah. for Dyke and Thomas, you know, Bushwhack and Thomas Cole, I guess we'll call it. I was going to say here, here's no view, but here's a grand view. Yeah. Here's the best view. One of the best. Yeah. Yes. I'll agree. I'll agree. Definitely a lot of uh, room up there. So that's, that's very good to check out. Plus it has a great dance floor. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I haven't been out that much. Um, the one thing that I did do and so you reminded me of this is that I went to the West Kill Brewing place and we had uh, the 3500 Club and the West Kill Brewing revealed their Bicknell Thrush uh, IPA, their Pale Ale, which was pretty neat. Um, proceeds of that, of the, the purchase of the Bicknell Thrush beer goes to the 3500 Club and their research and their dedication to protecting the Bicknell Thrush, who uh, we we both know is a very very valuable bird in the Catskills. One of the oh, the, the sound of the Bicknell Thrush is amazing. Yes, especially at sunrise. Yeah, like, I, I, it, over like Mountain is best sunrise hike and the best one of the best places to hear them. Sure, hell yeah, definitely coming over that sure. east that looking over that east side of the I I haven't been up there for a sunrise hike, so I'm jealous. I did that in 2021 as a sunrise hike. It was the day of the uh, was the eclipse in June of 21. Wow. Or was the eclipse? It was something in the morning. There was something going on that was like it's supposed to be oh, like green, the green, the green colored sunrise or something like that. I, I can't remember what it was. Oh, was it? I can't. Uh, now it's gonna bother me. I thought about that. I was like, got what it's called. Yeah, that's uh. Yeah, so that that was, I was there. It was it was very interesting day. Driving up there was a god. Was it was pretty crazy. Um, going from rain to sleet and freezing rain to snow to back to sleet and freezing rain was just terrifying. And then that drive going up to West Kill Brewing, you think it's it's only like it's only like three or four miles, but still, that's the longest three or four miles I've ever driven, especially due to the ice and snow. It was just absolutely insane. And uh, getting up there was pretty fun, you know, going up that steep little little driveway is, is really fun. And then seeing people later on trying to get up there was, uh, wasn't was fun, but it was funny, I guess. That's really mean to say, right? No? Well, that's why uh, you guys were up there helping anyone out. They got stuck. Yes, correct. You pull them out, you pull them out with the Tesla with the snow tires. 
Yeah, yeah, right. The Tesla with the snow tires handled it like a beast, but I was still driving like an old grandma. But yeah, we had the SAR team there. We had members of the 3500 Club there. We were talking about the Bicknell Thrush. We were talking about the SAR team. Great all-in-all time. Pretty crazy weather, though. The constant 20 to 30-mile-an-hour winds with like gust up to like 30 or 40-mile-an-hour. Some people had their like drinks down on one of the the picnic tables and like the gust would just blow it over and then shatter the freaking drink and then totally have all the the their alcohol all over the place. So I felt bad for them. Of course they got one for free, but but just shattered glass everywhere. <laughs> well hey man, I got I got used to the winds at uh, Oswego State. So I, I, I know a flatland winds like that's uh Oswego. That's up north, right? Yeah, right on Lake Ontario. My Ooh. dorm, my dorm had the best view. We, I, right out of the front window, I saw right over the campus, and there's a lake every single day. Wow, you guys got the snow, right? Uh, we didn't get that much snow because it would just blow away. So interesting. We got, a lot, we got all the winds. It was kind of cool though. Like uh, a few years ago, when like well, after it gets a decade ago, when Buffalo got like seven feet of snow in one shot, we saw that snow band just north of us, and Watertown got like. 10 feet it got buried and we're just sitting there on campus looking at this the snow band across the lake like hey, what's that <laughs> sky winds. that's crazy that's some uh interesting stuff you know it's just like you know what happened in buffalo like you said that part of buffalo there was just that one little belt and then people above that that belt got six feet and people below that got barely an inch and it's just got to be so odd to see yeah it, it was it was cool I mean, you kind you see that in the Catskills when you get to the summit, and I think uh, you and John were talking about the time we saw the rain coming in at a distance. It yeah, looked it's exactly the same, except there's a cold wind coming. You go, oh crap, gotta go. Yeah, we saw classes though. So. <laughs> yeah, right, and the, you know it was just like that actually when we got the snowstorm uh, a couple weeks ago, Tannersville and stuff like that. You know, got 36 inches of snow, but yet Phoenicia and Shandaken got like maybe like. You know, maybe like five to ten inches, not even. It's crazy. Yeah, we, we got sixteen, and then Albany got four. And I <laughs> not even as a crow flies, maybe two miles from Albany. Wow! In Troy, right? Yeah, I, I lost a lot of my uh, spruce trees that storm. I don't know, really, because Good. of the weight, the heavy wet snow. Yeah. So wow. my my black spruces, my Nor- Norway spruces, didn't lose anything, but the black spruces lost a lot. Oh man. That stinks, and that's a pain in the ass to get them cleaned up too. Yeah, burnt bluebirds have houses, places for the houses to go now, though. So. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, definitely some crazy times in in weather here in in the Catskills and upstate New York. We both know that it's just been one crazy time. Yeah, we're in fall spring right now. Yeah, fall spring. What what do they say? Uh, it's second spring. Yes, it's second winter or something like that. But what about second winter? Except in this uh, snow band coming through now. Yeah, right. You you just, I mean, we were talking about that in the beginning. I see a little snow on the ground, which is insane because we had 52 degrees here today. Yeah. But I mean. <laughs> it was so nice. It was very nice. And I'm, I'm, I'm jealous. And I'm seeing flowers popping up all over the place. And then who knows what's going to happen next week. I, I had crocuses in February. Like they're blooming already. I'm like. In February? Yep. End of February, I have pictures of uh, my crocuses up front blooming. Oh, my God. Yeah, you guys in Troy have a little bit different than us in Oneana. Yeah, well, we're we're not too far above sea level here. Okay. Yeah, it was, it's definitely different. So crazy. 
All right. So news, uh, volunteer, a lot of volunteer organizations are sending out their, their summer and spring, uh, kind of like reach outs, uh, to sign up and get volunteering. Uh, Carl knows about volunteering. He's been volunteering for half of his life basically. And he's basically killed it in volunteering. We'll talk about that in a little bit with the narrows. Um, but you know, check out all the clubs. I have everything in my show notes about that 3,500 club, Catskill mountain club, Catskill visitor center, bunch of different places that you can volunteer, volunteer local organizations. Doesn't matter like Carl does. Uh, the narrows is an excellent, crazy spot that he participates in. And it's fantastic. He has done some crazy work over there. We'll talk about it a little bit, but yeah, it's something everyone should see just like the Catskills. Yeah, exactly. All right, so Cara, how about we break into the Catskill Mountain history? Let's do it. I was waiting for the music. All right. Take me away. That's pretty good. I, I, And the funny thing is, is once I upload that to YouTube, it says copyright, but it's allowed. So Huey Lewis. Oh. It's under 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Well, he allows it, I guess. Huey Lewis. I guess people can flag that for they don't want to allow to, it to be used. And then other people can say like, oh, yeah, that's fine. I guarantee Huey Lewis doesn't care anymore. <laughs> no, he's, he doesn't care. He's loaded. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially he's still my back to future money. Yes. Hell yeah, man. I've never, the funny thing, I watched that video the other day. I've never seen that video before. And I love that video back in time when it just has Doc in it. It's really crazy. Oh, I love but, that, those movies. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So I got uh, a recent book from my friend, John. I mean, you know, John, we talked about one of the episodes of crazy bushwhacking guy that hates bushwhacking. Yeah, from those photos, it looks so happy. Oh, God. I made so many memes from those photos. It's so good. <laughs> he hates it. Um, but he gave me a, a little, like, kind of like a pamphlet of, of DEC hiking trails from back in 1969. So I got this. This was like the beginning of uh, the book. Well, it's the pamphlet, which is pretty neat. And it tells a little brief history of the Catskills. So I'm just going to read this off. Once again, it has no author. So I'm just going to read this off. Hopefully I won't get flagged for this later on. <laughs> might get sued, might not. Oh, we'll talk about that. Um, so the Indians call the Catsco Mountains Antiora, which has been translated to land in the sky. The modern name comes from the Dutch and is translated into present day language, which would be Wildcat Creek Mountains. As a lesser of two easels, Catskill is much preferred. And it's pity, it's pity that the old name, Indian name couldn't be used, though. An idea of geology in the Catskills may be gained by contemplations of the flat summits of the mountains and the precipitous sides of the valleys. The former characteristic is indicative of the flat strata and the latter of almost vertical joints. Shale often outcrops the lower slopes of the valleys. Sandstones occur at higher elevations, and the summits of principal mountains are usually gained up of hard, durable conglomerate. Altogether, it is a region of great interest for a geologist, which is Carl is. The old Catskill occupation of bark peeling has removed to a large extent from its forest of most interesting trees, the hemlock. The bark of the hemlock in years past was used for tanning purposes, and countless sound trees were left to decay in the forest after bark has been removed. Today, the forest con contains a predominance of hardwood species, except for the extreme high slopes, where the presence of balsam marks an outchange in time. A notable exception to this condition is the mile square stand of virgin spruce 
lying between Cornell and Slide Mountains, through which the Wittenberg-Cornell Slide Trail passes. Once again, this is 1969. This is before people started doing uh, more research in the Catskills, like Dr. Kudis and stuff. So this is definitely not the old virgin spruce in the Catskills now. Um, the interior of the Catskills was remote and little-known wilderness for a longer period than most people imagined. The superstitious awe of the Indians, who believed it would be the dwelling of the place of the Great Spirit, effectively prevented extensive explorations on their part, while the fact that the interest of the Dutch, who settled here in the eastern foothills, laid entirely on the Hudson River, worked to the same end. Even though the early historians of the region appear rarely to have penetrated beyond the site of the present village of Haynes Falls, and as late as 1918, a writer referred to the summit of Slide Mountain as being a few hundred feet distant from Moneysuk Lake, which we all know is that's very far away, three miles at least. John Burroughs, in writing of his first attempt to ascend slide, relates that the party starting at Woodland Valley were only able to reach the summit of Wittenberg and were forced to turn back with their objective unattained. However, the past few decades had seen rapid development in the means across the region. Concrete highways have replaced old earthward wood wagon roads and was once a trackless forest is cut by a network of trails and reaches most of the major peaks in the mountains. The undertaking that baffled burrows can now be brought to successful conclusion in a few hours. Once again, this is 1969. So a lot of this stuff was just starting like the trails and stuff. I remember seeing trailhead markers, 1967, 1969, in some of the places like where Carl was just in the Blackhead Range with some of the newer trails, Slide Mountain, newer trails, Wittenberg Cornell was a newer trail and stuff like that in 1969. So crazy how far we've become, how far we've come in 50, 60 years, right? Yeah. And how much is still changing? Exactly. How much, you know, you know, one of the big big, big topics in the Catskills is the, the herd paths. When are those going to become trails? And as Carl knows from being a geologist and his studies, that making a trail is not a one, two, three process. No, just even doing a uh, trail work. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not easy. Exactly. Exactly. So bunch of stuff that we're going to talk about. So let's get onto it. Guests of the night geologist Carl Backus. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. Let's go. I love that. That's such best, a good thing. Best, best intro, sorry. <laughs> I love you, 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 you had some great sound bites. I got to give you credit for those. Oh, it's it's Will Ferrell. That's the best. I love that part. No, no, no. I, I just dabble with it. I just dabble with it. And then all of a yas, sudden, the... Yas flute. <laughs> and then he pulls it out. It's just like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> love it. So, uh, Carl, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here, buddy. Oh, glad to finally be here, man. I'm I'm excited to ask questions. Uh, number one, because uh, you're a younger geologist. A lot has changed within the past, you know, 30, 40 years, even within 10, 15, 20 years. Um, so a lot of people have different thoughts of the old time stuff. And you got a, a lot of, of good explanations of the newer days and newer technology that we've come up with. So great to have you on the show. So Carl, why don't you give me a little background about yourself, sir? Yeah. So I, uh, I grew up out here near uh, Albany and well, kind of little city of Troy, New York. Uh, the Catskills have always been sort of a second home to me. I grew up going to my grandparents who live outside of Socrates and 
We used to spend Christmas and all the holidays at their house and out of the living room and all pretty much all their main rooms as a view of the Eastern Escarpment or as the wall of Manitou. Their, their view is basically from Overlook, mainly Indian Head and uh, Black Clove to Costco High Peak. And then in the winter, you can actually see all the way to North South Lake. So it's one of the best views. If it was an hour drive to the to work every day, I'd be living down there in a heartbeat. Yeah. But any which way, I always see it. I'm at elementary school. I used to see the Hollerbergs, which is the northern extent of the Catskills, the birthplace of North American geology at Thatcher Park. And in uh, my high school, I had a full view of the Blackhead Range. And for my job today, I still, my office view is I get a little peak of Blackhead and Black Dome from my uh, office window. But of course, they're 40 miles away. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I grew up, I, I grew up in this area and I grew up hiking the Catskills. My first hikes was to uh, Devil's Kitchen Lean to my grandfather. Many, many, many years ago now. <laughs> and yeah. I grew up hiking in, in the uh, White Mountains. And that's why I'm a 48er before I'm a 35 or 46er. Mm. Now, with you exploring as a, as a young kid, I'm guessing that's what brought you into a lot of people get that influence at a young age. That is that what brought you into be uh, wanted to be a geologist? Yeah, I mean, just a fascination with, with this giant rock wall, uh, you know, coming out of nowhere from the Hudson River. And then uh, where I, one of the places, where, well, the main place I volunteer with the Narrows, I grew up going down there all the time on my bikes. It's bare rock areas. It's multiple f- different ways of the rock is facing the fractures, the amount of you know, sand and these smooth rocks. And, you know, this happened over time. So it's just all these questions like, well, when did this happen? What is this made of? And why is it here? Why, why of all places is this where it happened? And then another area that Narrows and Monida Preservation, which I've worked with on the trail systems board member and the building manager of it's on top of a 150 foot gorge. The Mount Ida falls, which I think you and Ed years ago would dig the falls. You guys cleaned up that park. Yep. That's one of the places I help manage now. I mean, things like that, like how did this happen? And then as a kid, you see these fascinating, these giant rock valleys and all these things, especially in the white mountains, you see these very deep U shaped valleys, which is indicative of a glacier coming through. And it's just fascinating. And that's what really drove me into this geology background. And originally, yes, I was all dirt guy, but I'm all soils now. I'm all sediment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Now, when you started to think about this geology stuff, a lot of you know, a lot of people think of geology like uh get into that major is especially when they see the waterfalls. Waterfalls are a fascinating thing to learn about. Like you said, Mount Eda Falls and of course like Catterskill. A lot of people don't know about the geology of a waterfall, which is uh was that was that a big amount of your influence? Well, well, somewhat. I mean, my my main thing is I love hiking, love being outside. So I I, I went to Oswego State for my undergraduate degree. I was originally geochemist, and I love chemistry. I love the what makes everything up, and then the geology. But I didn't want to live in a lab, and I wanted to really do field geology. So I got I'm like, hey, I've liked seeing these hard rocks. Uh, you know, igneous, granites, all these things. And then that's what I did for my undergraduate thesis. And then I came to the State Museum where I work now as a, a geologist, State Museum uh, Geological Survey. And I got into glacial geology and learned like, wow, there's a whole different field here that is like a lot of times people think of geology, think of these rocks. So that you had these bedrock mapping and all that. They didn't really care about the glaciers. So mostly like, yeah, scrape that crap off the top and get to the real stuff. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, that stuff you're scraping off is full of what we use every day. Your water's in it most of the time, your aggregate resources, things like that. And that's so really like, wow, this is really cool. So then I went off to Western Michigan 
university and got my graduate degree mapping for with the USGS grant. So I got paid to do my thesis to map, and now I'm doing that for New York State. And I've been there four years now. And then, so with that, like the, a lot of these waterfalls are bedrock, but a lot of times they're influenced by the glaciers. So these whole things, so it kind of came full circle now that now understanding these waterfalls and now I'm a glacial geologist, it's kind of like, well, I now know how, now I know how it happened. Like you get these things called hanging valleys and that's what Conestoga Falls is. The glacier wore out the, the least resistant rocks, which are usually the shales. And you get these sandstone, limestone ledges, which is Conestoga Falls. Mount Ida Falls, Tinker Falls, and the uh, Finger Lakes. Titanic is an example of this erosion working back, and it was absolutely helped by the, the amount of water coming off the glacier eroding away. Watkins Glens is an example of this, where you have this, this meltwater path that's been used by the stream over time, and it was definitely helped by the glaciers. I mean, think of the Finger Lakes. These these are fjords. They're yeah. fjords, just like Norway, and they're 1,000 feet deep. You know, That's true. To, to the, like we, in 2018, we drilled. Well, 2019, actually, we drilled from the surface to 560 feet down, and we still did not hit bedrock. And Bottom of Falls is right behind us. Wow. It's 600 feet away. So that's uh, like a lot of what I do is I do superficial mapping as a geologist. And waterfalls are great because that tells me, okay, there's rock. I know where rock is. So what else? What is nearby here? Because a lot of times I find stuff that's unknown adjacent to waterfalls because it's being protected by that rock. Yeah, unknown as in like studies and stuff like that. So you find mm-hmm. stuff that basically um, almost no one else has probably seen. If they, and if they did, they probably thought of something different. And we, we now know with modern technology with radiocarbon dating that it, we can pretty much narrow down a date to it. If not, we can at least try to tell the story of it with everything surrounding it. It's not just like, huh, that looks like a pile of sand. Well, yeah. is that sand a beachfront? Is that a meltwater fan coming off the glacier? Is an escrow system coming off the glacier, the subglacial river channel deposits you see. The, be- the best one ever of an escrow system, if you ever want to see one, is driving Route 79 outside, outside of Lyle, New York, Whitney Point. Mm. If you're going out yep. through Ithaca, you're driving yep. on top of an escrow the whole way out. Oh, really? You're following this thing flowing all that. Yeah, it's one of the best examples you can get of it. You know, you'll see the steep ridges and you're driving on this curvy road. You're on top of it. Interesting. Yeah, I drive there a lot because my wife Jessica used to go to school in Penyan. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, so I drive through Oneana on my way to Ithaca every time, and then I go to Bainbridge, take two hundred six to Whitney Point, then seventy nine out to Ithaca mm. when I work out that nice. way. Yeah, but that's one of the best examples you can have of a escrow system and these deposits. But trying to understand this stuff, and that's the whole thing. Is a lot of times it hasn't really been researched, and if it has, it's been done at these large scales that. If you're trying to do like a, if you're trying to look at, hey, what's what's around my house? You'll never know because the, it was just done such a large scale. So, what we do at the museum and the geological survey, we map uh, for the USGS at these quadrangle scales, which is about eleven by five miles, roughly around fifty-five square miles. And that's a typical USGS topo map. If you're going hiking, you're taking a topo map. You're taking a quadrangle, and we try mapping at that scale because you really can get the nitty gritty details on those. And then you, if you need to, you do a 3D section. You like do a strat section of exposure next to a waterfall or a borehole that we drill. Like we do drilling work for to understand what's below the surface in areas that haven't really been studied. So if you're looking for a freshwater resource, you need to see what's below the surface. You can't just guess. Yeah. So that's kind of what we we try doing, and we try doing our, the best work we can with what we have and. You know, there's always going to be errors because we're never going to know exactly where everything ends, where everything starts, but we can make our best guess. And that's 
a lot, a lot of times it's better than what was there before. Yeah, definitely. That's incredible stuff. Now, um, when you hiked in, in the Thomas Cole region, the Blackhead region, the stuff on the trail and, and stuff like that, is that what you what wanted to make you be a ge- geologist? What was like the, the main reason? Well, one, one thing is we try to understand, like, as we're hiking, we're, so let's say we start a big hollow, right? We're inside this giant valley, and you can look off to the south, and you see the top of the mountains. You know, you, I think it's, what, 1,200 feet, 1,800 feet from the from the parking lot to the top of Blackhead, Blackdale? Yeah. That was all I wrote it out. That's all been that, – that, they were all flatline layers. So, one, how long ago was that? Two, when did that happen? And what, what happened between them? So the glaciers obviously had a huge effect on this at some point. Obviously, mm-hmm. then stream erosion over time. So like the lean-to there is, is on a ridge with two creeks on either side that are actively eroding. You may not see, you know, you may not see sand flowing down those creek beds, but and those creeks are actively eroding away at that that area. So that trail eventually will be on rock again, or it'll be deeper into these rock layers, and that ridge will be worn away over time, and then the escarpment will be worn down. I mean, as us as humans walking on the trail, we are eroding the trail no matter what. You can say, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I'm not. No, you are. And, and that's why you had to do trail maintenance is you had to move the trail every so often, let the roots go back to strengthen that. And then it's, that's just act. That's the natural process. You know, like yeah. a, a deer, a deer running on trail, they're act, they're, their hoof goes in, pushes down the sediment, but then they're getting sediment on their hoof and then they're transporting it down further down or further up. Mm-hmm. So then you're going up the trail, you see these flat, jagged layers of rock that are act that they've been fractured or they've been broken over time from weathering could be small earthquakes over time could be i free saw action with the you know as you get this water flowing in between the cracks it freezes as water freezes it expands it eventually just opens that crack a little more a little more and tree roots do the same thing trees grow in these cracks as over time they grow and they'll push not as much as the as the rock will but I mean, the, the water will, but yeah, it, it'll over, open up and then crack and break these things off. And you get these giant angular boulders coming off these cliff sides. And that's a lot wow. of times what you may see as an erratic is not an erratic. It just happens to be a piece of what we call talus slope where you get all these rocks falling off these cliffs. And we see these mainly in the north edges of these mountains, especially I know Blackhead has a large deposit of these along this uh, north side. Yeah. Yeah. So all that, that stuff, basically, you know, seeing the ledges and seeing the glacial erratics and stuff got you wanted to be a geologist. One of the things, yeah. One of the things, I mean, I, a lot of it had to stem from the whites because I mean, I don't know if you've ever been up there, Stash. Yeah. The, I have, I've been up there once. It is incredible. And just the mass, I mean, the Catskills had the same thing, but I think the Catskills because of the flat lying rocks is it, it definitely wrote it differently than the, than the whites and the whites also have been exploited because they had, these alpine glaciers are high high altitudes and lots of water flowing through them. So they were just over deepened. But then the cliffs are thousand, two thousand feet tall. Like you think about Conosco Colvet, you can drive through the center of it and go from you know Socrates to let's see, uh, let's say like Roxbury or um Marketville and in mm-hmm. one shot. Now like you know, you're going up Platte Clove. It's if it was like that, it'd be like even more awe-inspiring. But the thing is you don't really get to see that. You're not going to the bottom of Cottesco Cove when you're there. You're just driving the side of it before you actually get down to like the bottom. I've always wanted to do that. It's walk up the creek and see how far you can get and see what's there. Yeah, same, same. We'll have to do that sometime. Because the original road of Cottesco Cove went straight up. And you can kind of see it when, you, when you're starting to go up Cottesco Cove from the east side. You can see the power line disappear. It goes below the road. It's following mm-hmm. the original road of Cottesco Cove. But I've always wanted to get up there and see thing in Black Cove. Like, what is, what is up there? You don't. 
you don't really see that. No one sees that really. Yeah. Definitely. The big question marks uh, brought that geologist and that, and you wanted to take on that, uh, that role, right? Yeah. And I'm and like my, in the winter time for my grandparents, house, we used to go to Platte Clove and make giant snowballs on the road and tumble them down on the cars that are over the edge in Platte Clove. But if you think about it, we're just making little, we're just adding to the erosion by adding more snow down that valley over time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's another example. Just like that's, that road is nuts. Yeah. Is. Road, because there's barely any guardrail or guide, guide rail. And it's just extremely steep off the edges. Let's think about like how much erosion has happened. That valley has been steepened by multiple episodes of glaciers coming through there. But once again, when did that happen? Yep. That's really not, it's not really well constrained. We, we know, we know when it got to long round. Well, how many times did it happen before then? How many examples of possible? Because the, the the rolling theory is that, and most people believe that when the glacier came through, it just wiped everything off the surface. It cleaned yep. it off. That's not entirely true. Some areas, yes. Yeah, some areas, it it got washed off because the glacier was there for a long period of time, washed away the soils. But a lot of times, it actually preserved in the rock. It's actually oh, not in the rock. It's preserved in these valleys that were protected from the glacier coming through, and you get five or six of these layers of this glacial till, which is what you see at the surface of most of the Catskins. It's this mm. clay to gravel mixture. It's called diamecton. But if we can narrow it down to where it came from, so we know, okay, it's the base of the glacier. It's called the lodgement till. If it's at the tongue of the glacier, which is the end of the ice sheet, it's really loose, but still that same kind of mixture. It's called ablation till or super glacial till, so a top. So lodgement till, you, you usually deposit under the glacier, so it's dense. It's been packed down by the thousands of feet of ice. Wow. So interesting. Yeah. Platte Clove and and Catasco Clove are very, very awesome places for geology just because of the, the sheer vastness of it. Like you said, it's like New Hampshire, you know, just amazing uh, slopes on both each side, which was carved out by water and glacier. So, yeah. And, and the differences between those, you know, whites and the Catskills is that most of the time the whites, it's one rock unit. It's the Conway granite, or it's, there's a few other things out there. There's actually some volcanics out near Conway, but, the Catskills, you're going through hundreds of layer of different rocks. So you're going to how many different stories in one shot. You know, you're looking at it's let's see, the New York State has rocks that go from 1.4 billion to about 66 million years ago. You get Cretaceous rocks in Long Island. But you're looking mainly at the Devonian, which is the biggest deposit in New York State of rock. But I I do want you to get in contact with our Devonian geologist in New York City Museum because he'd love to give it, you know, tell the story of those rocks. He he's such an expert on. So oh, yeah. he um he'll be able to he, he, there's so much going on with those rocks that we, we don't even really understand a lot of that too, but we we know for the most part what's what happened, but it's such a vast deposit coming from the Taconic Mountains that used to be the size of the Himalayas, which now are kind of like cut off and I live on the roots of them. But I mean it's conics, I think, are only maybe two thousand feet tall now, and they're very small to what they used to be. Mm. And those sediments flowed from here all the way out to Ohio, Michigan area. Like they, it's these vast deposits of rock. And the Catskills are just an example of that. It's the deltaic wedge coming off the glaciers, mountains, sorry, off the mountains, my bad. Yeah. Um, so like basically, you know, one of the, one of the big questions I have with, with geology and the Catskills is when I'm hiking and I see this stuff on the trail, I see random things like, um, of course, we'll, we'll get into a glacial radic what I call pancake rocks and stuff. So you're, you're familiar with the North South Lake region, correct? Oh yeah. That's like back my backyard basically. Exactly. So the spot like below sunset and artist rock, if you, you know, it's flat, it's smooth on the top, but you go below that and it's basically like concrete conglomerate rock. 
Could yes. you explain? Could you explain like how that is? Because I, I very rarely, I always see the pancake rock and the the different layers, but this has that amazing feature. What what where did that? How did that come from? Well, I have to make a shout out to Sunset Rock. It's where I proposed my wife. Uh, nice. In uh, 2021. Uh, but that th- those are conglomerates. So that is example of river deposits. So you got to think of uh, a gravel. They're heavy, heavy deposits. Heavy when I, in regards to like clay, you know, you modeling clay, it's nice and light. It's, you know, you can smear around everything. So you see two different types of energy to deposit gravel or to even move gravel. You need a lot of energy. You need like, think about a flood. When uh, we had Hurricane Irene come to the Cascos with these giant boulders being deposited because you had tons of energy in the system. Mm. So conglomerate is an example when you're on a stream bed and you see this, you're, let's say you're in a curve of meandering stream. If you're standing on the part where the gravel and the and the sand is, the gravel is is example of a flood deposit or a high energy deposit. So it could be just like you get a heavy rainstorm, all of a sudden you get enough energy to move this rock, it's getting deposited as the energy is decreasing. So as the flood is starting to wane, you get the gravel deposited. The next, the sand's deposit as the energy dissipates, and then eventually you get to a pond or a lake, and you get the on, on the think about when you're in a in a pond, you're walking out on the water, your feet can kind of like smeared like muddy it's because you're getting the silt and clays to settle out of the system because the energy is just dissipated to nothing so in that curve where you're standing on it's a point bar it's a depositional bar so you get this sand and you get this gravel that's conglomerate and then on the, on the opposite bank it's cutting so it's eroding away that sediment and pushing it further downstream so what you're what you're standing on there on sunset rock you're literally standing on top of this flood deposit and to think about the conics as being this Himalayan sized mountain range, you got to think of all that water, all that rock coming off of that mountain range and depositing this vast conglomerate. Because that, that conglomerate, you also see it fairly soon, you also see that down by Overlake Mountain, too. This is the example of that conglomerate. Interesting. And at least I know near Huckleberry Point, you'll see it again, too. Yeah. If, if anybody is ever up there, when you walk down below the this Artist Rock and Sunset Rock, uh, look to your right or to your left. If you're going up, look to your right. If you're going down, look to your left. You'll see the rock and it's just it's totally different it's not like shale or anything like that it's conglomerate it looks like basically it was made by a bunch of of people with really bad concrete correct yes and and the coolest amount of like quartz rich rock in there the white and it can be feldspathic too so feldspar is usually like a whiter or pink colored but yeah it's it's a really cool deposit conglomerate yeah it's one of the best it's probably the best example of conglomerate you can find nice yeah yeah i've seriously stumbled well you didn't stumble upon it. You walk below it and you and you question it, and you're just like, "Wow, this looks different than all the other rock and and the Catskills yeah. and a lot of other places." Uh, once again, and there's also examples of another kind called breccia, which is so those conglomerates are rounded rocks. Yep, breccia is angular rocks, they're really sharp looking rocks. There is, I think, a few examples in the Catskills. I'm not fully certain on that, but that's another example. If you see to differentiate the two, it's breccia versus the conglomerate. Interesting. Interesting. I'll definitely have to look into that. So what about another one one big question? I sent you a picture of this a a while back. I I call this pancake rocks. It's basically different layers facing different angles of the rock. What, uh, can you explain that to me? Cause I'm, I'm still confused about that. Yeah. So that's a cross bed sandstone. So, uh, what you're seeing is actually the angle. So think of like a beachfront. You're seeing this wedge is always angled toward the ocean because the water's pushing up. It's pushing the sand up and down, up and down. That's in one direction. 
Now, let's say you get uplift or you get uh, all of a sudden a, a flood event and changes the direction of the flow. You might get an erosional layer. So you might get that cut off and it's flat layer. You get the flat deposits and then it changes direction the other way. So you get this change of direction. So it's crossing the beds, the cross bedded sandstones. And you'll see this. So like the conglomerates at North South Lake, you may then go up. I'm not, it's been a while since I looked at the different rock layers there, but you may go up into this carbonate sandstone. So you're actually seeing a decrease in energy from this flood deposit to then your energy is dissipating. So you're seeing that point bar type thing going on. So now you're getting this change in energy and then you get into the shales, which is the lowest energy. So you're getting the clays in there, which is, that's what in the shale is. Shale and siltstones are smaller particle sizes. So that's what made the Cascos are. You're seeing this differentiating of energy over time in different environments too. So you're saying basically like uh, it would be flowing kind of like north, south with the thing. And then all of a sudden a sort of impact, maybe like uh, the glacier melted a little bit too much. And all of a sudden it's flowing, you know, what, east to west or something like that. You could even have a landslide, you know, in the landslide at the time. And then that was enough to change the direction of flow. So you're one at one point, your waves or your flow is going to the north. You get a landslide. All of a sudden now it's flowing to the south. Or it's flowing to the west or flowing to the east, and you're just seeing the remnant of that. Excellent. That explains definitely a lot. So once again, if you're on the trail, you see those pancake rocks, different flow of it, different water and or glacial uh, activity, correct? Yep. Yep. Sweet. That's so cool. That's so cool to know. What about one of my favorite topics in the Catskills of geology is glacial erratics. What can you tell me about some glacial erratics in the Catskills? Well, one thing to think about is your transport. So we're talking about these, these uh, the roundness of these these class, these boulders. So the more angular it is, the less it's been transported. So the best thing I, you can think of is, um, let's say you're, ta- you're sanding a piece of wood. You get that wood from the lumber yard, right? It has barely been touched. So it's still a rectangular or it's a square four by four, right? You take that thing to a sander, where you're just rounding it out. So think about think about stones like that, that... As you're transporting this rock over time, it's rounding out. It's getting rid of the rough edges. It's smoothing itself out. So glacial erratics generally are rounded or sub-rounded. So sub-rounded is it's not exactly round. So it got some quote-unquote sharp edges, but it's mm-hmm. like you know stubby. That's sub-rounded, and that's usually it's indicative of transport. The glacier is transporting these things there. So like most time you'll see granite class or granite boulders in the Catskills. They're round because they came from a very far distance, at least 100 miles away from the Adirondacks. Wow. Or from the Canadian Shield all the way up in you know north of the St. Lawrence. So they are absolutely erratic. Now, a lot of times you see in these trails, like actually I was looking at alligator rock or gator rock, however you want to call it. That has a little bit of roundness to it, but also it's still sharp. It's still got these sharp angles. So it's probably what's called talisope, which is the north slope of these mountains. You get this free saw action. It's just falling off a cliff. So you get a pile of these sharp rocks. And a lot of times that's what you see. It's just a local bedrock that's been fractured over time. That's a natural occurrence, but it's not glacial in origin. So you want to call that an erratic. You just be a boulder, a lo- local sandstone boulder. But then like boulder rock has been moved. That's a prime example of one that's been moved around. It's a little rounded. It's not in place, but it's also, there's nothing above it. It's at the highest peak. Wow. So it's, it's yeah. been moved. It's been pushed along. But then again, like Pine Orchard, the prime example of the mountain house was. You get sharp rocks there. If you if you look safely, look over the edge. If you get down, you get down to your chest. You look <laughs> over the edge. You'll see these piles of these sharp rocks. That's exactly what you're seeing. You're seeing this talus slope pile at the base of that cliff. So that's that's how you can differentiate between these two. Interesting. And sometimes, 
sometimes, of course, when you're getting to like Cottage Clove and you have something fall off of the cliff of Boulder Rock, right? It's mm-hmm. tumbling down into the Clove. It might be rounded, but that's where it gets iffy. That could be an erratic or could just be examples of like flowing down and you're at an active creek bed. Should you yeah. actually be getting erosion? But, you know, every flood is, you get a, a gravel boulder hitting that giant boulder. So, yeah. So if anybody's ever, you know, a great place to see geological features is of course, along the escarpment trail in the North yes. South Lake region, that place, you can see anything from, you know, dance floors and dance floors is basically a place where the glaciers scraped off the floor and it's totally flat. It's awesome. And then you go further down, you see Boulder rock, great example of a glacial erratic. Yep. And I love the glacial erratics. Um, you know, they're, they're everywhere, which is pretty cool. And then there's also some that once again, like you said, alligator rock is questionable because it's fell such a far place from, from the top of maybe like North point or something like that, but it's still got a little bit of smoothness to it. So. And it's fractured. It's fractured. That's what has that opening. It actually, it broke off. So that's why I get the opening of the mouth. I'm looking at a photo of it right now. Exactly. And and in North point, another thing there in North South Lake, you get one of the prime examples of striations where these little rocks at the bottom of the glacier, as it's moving, it's scraping these rocks into the bedrock under it and showing the direction of flow. Yeah. So you get that, you get that directional movement. Now, sometimes you might see multiple directions and you're seeing examples of different, possibly different glacial episodes or it might it, it could have been an advance, the slow retreat, and advance from a different direction. Because mm-hmm. yeah. the, the glacier doesn't move back; it melts back. It doesn't move backwards, so you don't get that backwards melting or backwards chatter marks mm-hmm. in it. Or the so that's one thing. That's a that's another thing. People, it's the uh, ice doesn't move backwards; it melts <laughs> backwards. It moves forward. It moves forward. Yeah, it, it has that G force. It pushes down, yep. but it never it never basically it melts it doesn't retreat basically well yes. it is retreat dude i'm just dude, freaking, the winds are hitting us right now and we're getting massive snow yes so it's about to hit you so i've got about an hour before it hits me oh crazy but yeah i just want to bring that up so yeah glacial erratics so what's crazy thing is you talk about the dance floor and the glacial striations is boulder rock could have been on north point one time and created glacial gyration and then and it could have been deposited right there. So great example of a glacial erratic. And also, I know you haven't been there yet, Carl, but on the top of Picamoose is a glacial erratic too. Well, I hope to get there. Maybe we'll have to go on the hike one day. We keep we keep telling we gotta do this. Let's do it. I know we always gotta man. I'm, I can take a Tuesday off. I'll, I'll come come with you. I gotta take a Sunday off. Jessica, Jessica has a, a, a decent amount. Well, not a decent amount. She has nine <laughs> hikes left. So maybe you can come on out with us. One of those hikes that you need to take off your list, man. Yeah, I'll get my wife to come with us too. And then you can freaking talk about some freaking geology stuff. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I, I got some good jokes for you I can use on the way up too. Ooh, excellent. I like jokes. <laughs> so in, in the Catskills, what are some of your favorite geological features that you see? Well, Catsco Falls is one of the best. I mean, you're seeing multiple hanging valleys. The, the, eros- the erosion of the least resistant rocks and then it boom, you get these shelves of these more resistant rocks. So you get these sandstone ledges or limestone ledges. And it's just incredible. I mean, I've, I've loved it. I, my, my favorite thing was approaching it from the South coming off the trail from, I think it was the Molly Smith park parking lot. Yep. Is that what it was originally? And then you came up there because you're seeing this, Oh, this is kind of easy. I need it. Boom. There you are. 
Yeah. I mean, not, like not today, which I got, I got to appreciate the work they did in those steps. It's incredible. I'm putting those steps in. That was, that was such a feat. Yeah. But I mean, Comisco Clove in general is my, probably my favorite thing in the whole Catskills. But the cool thing about that is understanding what formed it. And I, I see, I see that's, I think we're going to get to that, but, um, well, let's let's kick let's kick into it right now since we're in the topic. Yeah. So one thing to think about when you're going through, I, let's say I always approach the Catskills from the east. So Stash, you come from the west, so you don't really. Yeah. When I start at the bottom of Palinville, you're coming up, you see rock, you see these red rocks all the way through, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, you get to this one bend, and you look to your right, and it looks like there's looks like a conglomerate on the right that's got sharp edges to it, and it's eroding like these little valleys. Mm-hmm. That's not bedrock. That's actually glacial till. That's that's that lodgement till at the base of the glacier. That is an example of a. I have to, I have to double check this. I, I so one thing we use at work, one of this modern technology we were talking about. So I, I when I go do this field mapping, we use the most advanced thing I have is this thing called lidar, which is light distance and ranging. So it's basically an airplane that flies over. It has two lasers on it. One laser hits the vegetation and everything on the surface and goes back to the receiver. The second one goes and penetrates and hits the actual land surface and comes back. So then after post-processing, you actually get this real surface imagery. So it's not like a topo map using contours. It gets down to, some of these get down to within, the resolution is one meter by one meter. So a meter box tall, meter wide. So you can see stone walls. You can see hay bales type stuff on this. And wow. that's that's what we use for our base map. There's no longer using contours or things like that because that doesn't do, it doesn't really tell you that much. But on LiDAR, you can actually see that that's a moraine. So the, when the glacier is flowing, it stops. And mm-hmm. then, so like Long Island is an example of a terminal moraine. It's the end of the glacier. This is where it stops. And it slowly starts retreating from there. And you get the meltwater fans coming off. That's what creates the barrier islands outside of Long Island. And then the actual, like, I don't know if you're not at the Montauk point before. You're I, I haven't, but I, I know about it, definitely. So the, so Montauk light point, uh, the lighthouse is on top of glacial till. It's, it's just moraine. It's just clayed gravel, boulders, and the stuff. And that's what you're seeing in part of College of Cove. And then as you drive out the road, it's gone. You don't see it again. So it's just this little deposit. And you're going up all through these rock layers. How much How much time? And then yeah. Then you get to North South Lake, and you get all these examples of this glacial flow. You get this. <clears throat> you get the striations. You get the erratics. You get the you get the erosion. The, this this glacial escarpment is just an example of the glacier exploiting fractures along the side of the mountain free saw it's plucking these rocks off it's breaking it off and you get this steeper and steeper and steeper as you're going up now it is slightly u-shaped and like if you're looking at costco high peak the escarpment trail goes around an example of a cirque it's another it's another clove forming mm-hmm. if you look at it on the uh, east side of costco high peak yeah and, and, and if you look and almost the peaks of costco high peak almost could be these horn types of things but they're they're not it's just how they're eroding it's just how the, the fractures are happening. It's getting the shape, but I mean, th- there's so much going on in the Catskills. It's it's kind of crazy because the Catskills are a dissected plateau. They're mountaintops. Yeah, because I got I got chewed out in uh, high school earth science for this because I kept calling <laughs> the Catskill Mountains and like, no, it's a plateau. I'm like, okay, it is a plateau. I've heard of that. Yep. But they're getting so dissected o- over time just by the fractures. Like I we were, we were talking before about um, you get like the Roundup Reservoir in area south. Is really a prime example of plateau. You get this; it's mostly flat. There's a few peaks here and there, but all your high peaks are in the northern Cascades, mm. and that's the thicker part of the, the Cascade Delta Wedge. Which, if you I don't know if you ever seen a geology, 
map of the Catskills that the, the actual like, Eastern front is this, it almost looks like a, what's the best way to, like a teardrop. Yeah. Like Except cut the edge of the, the, the bigger part off. It's flat. You get this wedge and it thins out as you go West. That's mm-hmm. basically Catskills. So the thicker wedges are the high peaks. Interesting. Which actually comes to think of it. Boulder Rock could have been on top of Blackhead, making it a 4,000 footer. We don't know that. <laughs> yeah, correct. Another 4,000 footer. Yeah. Wouldn't that be pretty funny? <laughs> pretty close. I know LiDAR took a few feet off of that when they uh, did the survey of it. Yeah, they, they, they did a lot of different changes. That was, that was crazy. Um, when they did the, the new LiDAR, probably like what? I think it was like five years ago. And then all of a sudden, the new one came out was like two years ago. Yep. Yeah, and and so like like for my job, what we do is a lot of times we do soil sampling. So it's this five and a half foot hand auger, and you're sampling. You want to get below that plow layer, and what the what the humans have screwed around with, you know, like digging holes and building foundations. You're digging out the surface. You want to get below that and get the actual material and understand. So we break it down. We do a sieve analysis on to break break down how much clay, how much gravel is in this, and I really understand what it's made of. And the same thing like when we do our borings, we. We then go through and do grain size so we can understand, okay, the soil is mostly sand, but on top is that clay layer. So we know that's a confined aquifer. So when you get your groundwater, you get your wall drill, you want to go through that clay or the till, even a till layer. Glacial till is mostly uh, fine grain, so it actually is good cap layer and get into that sand because then it may even be pressurized where the water is actually going to come back up through the hole, which so less pumping of your wall pump. But then it's also protected generally from contaminants. And these are things like that. A lot of times you get, if you get something like a, track, a tanker flips over and it starts polluting, you need to know what's below the surface. You also need yeah. to know what's at the, you need to know what's at the surface too. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's for years. All they, a lot of people concentrate on the bedrock and you take that, you scrape the crap off the top, like I said, you know, but that crap on top is where we all live. Yeah. So, so basically with all, with we've talked about Catterskill clove is that basically the Catskills are always changing because because of the dissected plateau instead of being big you know rock mountains like uh, the Whites and the, the the Adirondacks the Catskills have so many different layers that it could be constantly changing you know as we we're talking yeah yeah I mean you could be eroding out a, a section of it and all of a sudden here's a fossil that was never found before because it's been buried for so long you know you got to think about like and the other thing is. We don't really know, you know, there are geologists, there's been geologists since at least the 1830s that have been just mapping this area, but I, there's so much more going on. There's, there's every little creek bed, every little valley, every tributary could hold something that was ever been found before. Yeah. And, so, and, so that's, and it's especially true in the Finger Lakes region. Like so far, my, you know, what I've found so far in my career is stuff that's ever been found before. Yeah. So talking about the, you know, we, we, we kind of moved past Catterskill Clove being place that's ever changing and also has amazing onset of geological features uh what about new york state what are some some of your favorite places in new york state that you know of uh with the geological features that you love finger lakes man finger lakes yeah oh i love that place Cuyahoga lake basin has been i've been working there four years and absolutely absolutely love it Cuyahoga lake wow well my dog's name is Cuyahoga. i named her after because i want something different because also when if I want to call her a cuke, you know, it's easier. Yeah, right. But uh, the, every all the Finger Lakes Basin, it's just the topography out there, and there's so much going on, so many things to see. Watkins Glen, Tocanic Falls, one of my favorites. The, the first map I made for New York State was the Ludlowville Quadrangle, which had Tocanic Falls in it, uh, Ludlowville Falls on it as well. 
on the in Lansing, New York, well, the Lansing, New York, mm-hmm. the Six Mile Creek around Ithaca Falls. I mean, this whole area is just it's loaded. Buttermilk Falls State Park has got so much going on. And then even as you drive south, you still get it's just mountainous. The Finger Lakes Trail is a beautiful thing to hike. Yep. I hike part of it for the, my job to go in and when I do my bushwhacking, it's you know to find things that are off the beaten path. And that's what you have to do, correct? Yeah, most of my job is you know we're, we're either along this. I you know usually it's a I do a grid style and I map a quadrangle. I start I go by all the roads, I map everything I can find on the side of the road, and I pinpoint areas. Okay. Well, I need to visit this, 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 and this, and then find creek beds, especially near rock that I can say, okay, because generally we're going to find this stuff right against bedrock and, yeah. and the things like that. Then also wetlands. We want to look for these wetlands, man, because especially areas like Echo Lake is a perfect example of these cirques. We see, we see these around the state, but mostly you see them in the Catskills and Adirondacks and these cirques are these, you know, alpine glaciers eroding away at these rock walls and you get these steep sides. And at the bottom, they usually get a pond or a deep a bowl with a rock or gravel rim from the rents, everything's plucking as it's going down. And like the Matterhorn, which I think you had a guy, uh, one of your guests a few weeks ago talked about the Matterhorn and that going up to the base of it, they're probably the base of, of one of the cirques on the way up. Yeah. Cirques are one of my favorite, actually. It's uh, you can see them all over the place. Prime example, West Kill Mountain. The, when you're facing on the, what the, uh, God, what's that? Uh, you got Buck Ridge lookout. You can see that cirque, just a bowl. What did you say? It was uh, like a, a a spoon, like a, a different. Yeah, like it's a um uh miso, like a, a miso soup spoon is the best example because yes. it's got that shape to it. The other thing is like a ladle. You can see like a ladle. You get the steep handle. You got this bowl and a rim. Yeah. And uh, one and, of the best examples of a, of one of these is actually the uh, I think it's north side of Vly. There's, a, uh, there's actually yep. a little pond at the bottom at the bottom one. That's one of the best examples of one. And yeah. these, and I. As the glacier is pulling back, one of the first plants to take over is the Strys integrifolia, and it um, it's one of the first tundra plants to grow on top of this now a virgin soil. So it's like this little white flower with a with a yellow flower genitals, but I can't remember the name of them all. So you know what I mean, like the, you know it's <laughs> yeah. where the pollen is. Yeah, and it's I uh, usually see these in tundra alpine zones, and it, it grows yearly. So as it's growing, it then dies, obviously, and these leaves will either flow in the water and get buried. And a lot of times it's in these lake settings that these the meltwater flows into these little ponds. Now it can be on the glacier. You can have the kettle. Generally you don't go for those. You want to go for like a natural, like a rock basin where it's been bound, where there's the only thing under it is rock. And in the wintertime, we use the thing called stabilizers, which is what I used on the hike uh, blackhead. It's this like soles that Velcro onto your, over your shoes. And it's got these sheet metal self-tapping screws. And the heads of the screws are at the base, so you can walk on ice. I use them for hiking too. They actually work pretty well. You still need your crampons, obviously, for hiking like the east side of Blackhead. Yeah, yeah. But we have this hand piston, like hand coring system where we use wrenches and we push down. We dig a hole in the ice with a like an ice fishing auger. They push through, go through the wetlands, uh, like the peats and stuff. Go through stuff called cut sapropel, which looks like pumpkin pie filling. Mm-hmm. It looks really delicious. It's got sometimes like a nice perfect orange or brown like chocolate. It's not edible. You don't want to eat it. And then you get into this lake sediment because at one point, this was a little pond and all this stuff is flowing into that pond. And these leaves can be radiocarbon dated. And that tells us, well, the glacier was retreated by at least this age of this plant. Because if the glacier is there, that plant can't be living. It can't survive in those conditions. So we use that and we can then we date the sands. 
you could date sand. Uh, most of the time you get like this play sand and uh, I, I know the clear transparent bag is a Home Depot. You get the play sand in it. And it's usually like a tan, white, and clear crystals in it. And usually the, the clear ones and the tan ones are quartz. And when the sun, let's say you got this vast beach front, right? The sun is hitting those those quartz crystals mm-hmm. and it's resetting them. It's it's bleaching. It's like it's wiping clear the hard drive. And then as it gets buried again, a clock is starting. It's going to decay. And then what we do is we take it, we find a fresh exposure of sand, we clear it off with our shovels, push, you know, pound this tube in there with a little rubber mallet hammer, cap it off so it doesn't get any, we don't want to get any modern day solar radiation on our solar sunlight on it. We cap it off, wrap it up, dig it out of the outcrop, and then take a moisture sample on it and send it into the lab. In the best case scenario, you get an OSL and you get radiocarbon dating in the same layer, and you can really constrain that because radiocarbon is good to about 50,000 years. And then OSL is usually good to, I think, a max 200,000 years. Wow. And then we can kind of narrow it down and say, okay, well, we know the glacier was here then. Here's the meltwater flow, and then here's when the first vegetation is coming into it. Wow. That's wicked. And this is things you find while doing mapping, you know, over time. And generally, we do our coring in the winter. We did do coring in the summertime in the wetlands. Uh, we chose an 85 degree day. It was a great day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you know you're knee deep, you're hip deep in uh muck but that we got some of the best best dates out of that and the best times you know that's that's the whole thing it's like it's it's nice having this job we're out in the woods you're hiking you're doing this up and at the same time we're benefiting anyone that uses these maps any citizen uses these maps you can put on you know put on the wall like hey i live on sand i live on on glacial till and this is what happened see this that's the stuff i enjoy being able to educate educate out there and that's the whole thing it's like you don't you you don't get to many jobs i get to do that kind of stuff yeah especially educate beyond what happened you know like five years ago be like oh yeah look at this discovery we have like i was part of this discovery like uh it's it's amazing stuff and i've been following you a, a long a good amount of time to see your different discoveries you have with your with your your business and your your findings it's just and that that fascinates me. Like you said, with the sand, you could date this rock was or the glacier was here at this time, and then all of a sudden, you know, floods came in, massive floods came in, and then it died down, and we had some vegetation growth, and that will date your years. Wow, that's awesome, man. Yeah, and, and the other thing is understanding like how how does that affect your modern day? So like, if you like, I live right now on um, basically a meltwater terrace, so that's a glacier retreating it's it's all this gravel and the sand's coming off i live on top of one of those and then as the glaciers pulling back it formed glacier lake albany which is what we see down the hudson river valley you see all these clays down the hudson valley and then we know we know about it because when you hike on these trails along the side of the river it sucks because it's so freaking muddy <laughs> yeah and it, you slip all over the place you need to put gravel down you know it's and like especially troy here we have lots of it uncle sam was a brick maker you know uncle sam you know you, we want you. He was a yep. resident of Troy, New York, and he was he was a meat packer and had a brickyard. And he actually dug out the hillside on Prospect Park and caused a landslide wow. with this clay. So, and we said landslide's still there to this day. Wow. Interesting. I didn't know about that. Small world, man. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, once again, uh, like cirques were, were fascinating to me. Once again, it's like, uh, I just I just love looking at those and like you said, Echo Lake is a great example. So when you're on Overlook Mountain, you're looking down, check out Echo Lake to the right. 
check out um like i said westkill has a great cirque bear pen and vly have both great cirques beautiful stuff basically just a bowl that looks absolutely perfectly round and the grav the gravity of the ice just fell down it and just scooped it great i love cirques yeah and then even just like simple thing even just driving to route 28 you know it's like Phoenicia. we mapped there probably it's probably been 10 11 years since they mapped down that way and that there's like lake sediment up to 1600 feet these massive lakes at one point you know this there's examples of moraines up there in willow when 212 comes into uh 28 there's a willow moraine there you can see it on google or you know put terrain on you can see it's this brain, this glacier came around and just stopped. Yeah. And all that water flowed into the modern Shokan Valley. I mean, that's why you're getting like this. Uh, and if you ever like see the muddy waters coming down the Esopus. The, you know, you, oh, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. It gets like brown. That's all that, you know, all the eroded shales and the shales and everything in the mountains and also going through these old glacial lake clays, eroding it away. It's pushing all the sediment downhill, the natural process. That's ever changing. Yep. It's, yeah. It's always changing. Yeah, that's crazy. Awesome stuff. I love geology here. Um, so big question. Um, we we talked about this over like on- online and stuff like that. So how did the glaciers affect the trails that we hike on? Well, the main thing is uh what's above rock right now is this glacial till. So you got this either it's either gonna be ablation of the stuff at the front of the glacier or it's gonna be lodgement under the glacier. And that's where you get that. Aside from the rocks itself, you get this clay. You know, it kind of gets kind of slick no matter what, but there's always gravel in it. Is that that's that glacial till? It's something. You got think of this giant sheet of ice coming over. It's pulverizing everything its way, so it's it's getting all this clay in there. It's getting then it's entraining chunks of boulders into it. So you're getting this mixture of stuff coming through here, and it's getting packed. You get this glacier pushing down. Now the Cascades being at their higher elevations, you might get very thin drift. So you might, and that's what glacier, it's either going to be called glacial overburden drift, or I just noticed sediment, you know, and it can be very thin to very thick. Now, like in the finger lakes, it's a thousand feet thick. Oh, wow. you know, in some areas in the fjords, these deep narrow valleys, but some areas you're on rock, it's, you got bedrock exposure. So the main effect on it is what you're walking on. And you got to think of these mountaintops, you got these U-shaped valleys. They may be small, but like between, uh, it's like twin and black uh, twin in um, Indian Head, mm-hmm. you get this very ch- narrow channel. The glacier was there; it was pushing water through that sucker, and you can see yep. it's 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 clear. There's no sediment on there; it's been washed away. Same thing, Blackhead Black Dome. You get this U-shaped valley; it's been eroded away, um, and then you get all these like at the end of uh, Spruceton Valley. There's, oh, a, yeah. there's a there's a major moraine there at the end there on Lexington. On the on the when you're taking a right to go off 42 to Lexington on the right side, there's a moraine right there. Mm-hmm. But your trails. I mean, your main effect on trails is what you're walking on. It can be varied from if you're going to the valleys, you're going to have sand to possibly clay in some areas. And then the smooth rocks, they've been basically sanded down by the glacier. In some cases, like slide, slide actually has examples of uh, ancient soils or paleosols near the summit. So that really, it may not have been affected all that much. But I mean, you're, I mean, what here, here's another main thing. How does it affect your trails? Your views. All you're seeing is glacially pulverized terrain. Yeah. And, you know, modern fluvial, you get, you still get your V-shaped valley in some areas from the modern day, but I mean, everything you see has been destroyed by it. Yeah. And then fixed by it, by depositing it back down. Yeah. And what's crazy, people think of, you know, glaciers, they see the clear, crystal clear stuff. 
below that uh on the bottom is absolute freaking dirt yep. rocks massive yep. boulders ice crushing everything and, and when you see that blue ice it's generally in the ocean right yeah but when you see ones that are like in iceland it, they're dirty the best example of what a glacier actually looks like is i guarantee you go to your jobs parking lot what's that snow pile look like right all covered in brown stuff and and the other cool thing about this is a little side note is with just think about like anytime you see a pile of snow and it's got like a little bit of dirt on top or a grass, you know, sod's been torn apart. One inch of sod is enough to stop the solar radiation, the heat of this of the uh, sun on the stuff below it. So it's ins- it's enough to insulate that ice. Wow. That's why that's why dirtier snow piles take longer to melt than a clear one. Even though you think wow. the clear one is reflecting the flight, like, no, it's just enough that it's insulating that. With all this shit you're talking about, do you have, can you send me like za- examples of this, like pictures and stuff from, from your work or your job or anything? I think there's a few. I, I can't, oh, I mean, please. we have, I think there is some on the state museum website. On, okay. under us. Um, we have like, all, like if you're interested in just looking at maps, we have, we have maps from all, all different areas. We have a few in the Catskills. We haven't really been working that much. A lot of times you're spending in the Finger Lakes region, the capital district, like Albany, Albany County area. Mm-hmm. We do have some from Dale River when I was an intern in 2016, and my coworker, he, him and I both mapped this area from Hancock, New York, down to uh, Port Jervis. I mainly did the, the Port Hancock to um, Narrowsburg area, which that area, that Delaware re- region is absolutely beautiful. Route 97 is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. If you ever gone down that way along the Delaware, and plus, really, it's got to be really fun to tube. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <You know? laughs> And especially like the Roscoe area and the Fishes Eddy coming along uh, 17, another beautiful drive. Yeah. And you're just seeing all these glacial valleys. That's what all yeah. it really is. Exactly. And like like you said, you know, different prime examples of places where, where you can see like glacial movement, glacial stuff is like you said, when you're twin and, and Indian head, that narrow V Valley basically does not have any dirt. It's all rock, all jagged, rugged rock. And it's it's been made by a glacier, and the glacier got all that dirt out of there and left the the rock that's exposed. Yep, and, and the same thing like uh, we were talking earlier on uh, going d- the old carriage road from Platte Cloves Overlook. Yeah, oh, yeah. They didn't br- they didn't bring a lot of that rock in. Those smooth rocks were there, and then you have the jagged that really sharp bedrock near the Devil's Kitchen lean to. Like you're seeing two different processes that probably happened at very different times. Mm-hmm. You know that that rock was deposited in Devonian, and those those gravels were either affected by the last glaciation, or could have been previous glaciations, and it was just pushed, eroded back out, and pushed that further downstream by the last glacier. This whole thing is we don't know what's the timing. Everything's exactly. timing. You got to narrow that down first. You can tell the story, but you got to know what the timing is behind it, because then you could really say, well, this one did this, and this one did this, and this one did that. You know? Yeah, and. uh you know that that's the big question that's what we keep improving on year after year is when did this happen so and more and more technology exactly technology improves so does our our dating and our timing and our our theories basically of, yeah but but field work never changes <laughs> it's always yeah. the same little it's always the same things like uh we like like uh, using ground pinching radar we can't use it all the time you can only use it really in sandy substrates. If you have like what really conducive or clay rich stuff, it's not going to work because that water conducts and those clays conduct electricity. So when you're sending these radar signals with ground penetrating radar, like you see in CSI and things like that, mm-hmm. it doesn't work in clays because it just sends back a signal, just flatline. 
Meanwhile, if you have sand, you can go sometimes can go deep depending on the your you know the frequency of your radar systems. But mainly field work is still field notebook. I maybe handheld I use a handheld GPS. I have a compass still, pen, and then a shovel, my little hand drip, my hand powered soil sampler. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's basic shit, man. Basic stuff. But map making is completely different. That's all technology. ArcGIS is fun. And that's uh, that's what we use to make the maps nowadays. And like I was saying earlier about possibly with the you know, trail stewardship, like how do you know who takes care of what sections? Yeah. Oh, make yeah. Maps we... of that, and it can be in two seconds in, with uh, ArcGIS. Uh, yeah. I know we're, we're, we're a little late into this, but this is our kind of like our second recording. So sorry about that. Um, once again, I think it's I think it had to do with the, the winds and knocked out some internet here for a second. So, um, Carl, you're a, a big volunteer, especially in the Narrows Project, which I'm going to link into uh, the show notes. So check that place out. Uh, how important is volunteering? Because I know you do it a vast amount of time volunteering. Well, like one thing. So I I just got into hunting this year. It's something I want to learn how to do and understand because it is, it you know, either get, we all have to eat somehow. And depending on, you know, I, I love I eat meat, but also I'm, I know I still appreciate any type of culinary food I love, except ones that I can, I have Crohn's disease, so I can only, I'm limited on what I can eat. But as I had to get my hunting license, I had to pay for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and anyone that uses the ATV trail or snowmobile trail has to pay to use, to utilize these backcountry areas. So as hikers, we don't have to do that. Now, maybe at time we have this permit system coming in, which honestly may not be the worst idea. I mean, you're seeing it Marcy Dam and the Adirondacks and it's helping a lot. It's, you know, or lodge areas and Adirondacks are using the permit system, but as hikers, I see it as, okay, I'm, I had the privilege of going to hike this mountain. Right. But once you get outside of that, who maintains the trails? It's always volunteers. Like Sasha, you're, you're volunteering to do this. The one outside of uh, Thomas Cole, which camels on, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a pain in the ass, <laughs> but still you're volunteering. You're giving back to the trails. So as a hiker, I see it as if I'm hiking once a month, I should at least give, a few hours a month to a trail system near me or a local thing. So we know the Catskills are inundated with people right now. So this project in Troy, I grew up spending my time at Burden Pond Preserve, which is right near my house. And when, when I was in middle school, high school, I used to go down there all the time. I used to help maintain this place, pick up garbage, uh, just trees down on the trail, pick up the trees on the side. And then I went away to college and kind of waned off. There was a, a woman in her team did a great job maintaining this place. She sadly passed away and then no one took care of it. So then early 2019, I get word of this Narrows project coming along. And this is how I met Ed at Dig the Falls. Because Dig the Falls is involved this project. And then ever since then, him and I have been just pounding away at this trail, getting cleaning this whole preserve up. It's 90 acres in the middle of a city. It's one yeah. of the best green spaces we can get in a, in a city, and especially the capital region. There's so much going on. There's bedrock chasms. There's wide open uh, wetlands where we have beautiful, great, great place for bird watching. Yeah, yeah. And it's a good hike. It's 1.5 miles within just the preserve itself. The whole trail system itself is going to be a five and a half miles long. It connects the Empire State Trail and Manans over the Manans Bridge, which you get a great view of the Catskills from. And I do a lot of this volunteer, but I'm also part of Mount Ida Preservation Association, which is a former church in Troy that's turning to a community center. We house a food pantry, but with Monida, I'm able to connect multiple community groups together to do volunteering efforts to clean up our green spaces. So 
the church sits atop the Postco Gorge, which is Mount Ida Falls, which take the falls and stock yourself, help clean up, uh, I think, probably 2018. Yeah, it was a while ago. <laughs> it's before, it was before I came into the picture. I know that. I, was in, I was, wasn't living in Troyes in Michigan at the time. And that Postco Gorge Park, I'm using Mount Ida Preservation to help restore the park because you need a 501c3 generally to do a lot of grant work. Mm-hmm. So the way I see it is, as hikers, we have an obligation, I think, to give back in some way of volunteering. So since my wife and I have children, this is my way of giving back my time to my community. And that, and this Burton Pond, the Preserve and the Narrows Project is the main way of doing that. Because you have a lot, of, especially inner city, there's not a lot of green spaces. So how do you, how do people, especially underprivileged people, how do they have the ability to go to green spaces? Do they have the ability to understand how hiking, go try fly fishing, try canoeing, try mountain biking for the first time? Like, you don't get to do that. And this is a yeah. huge opportunity to do that. And I, I think as the Catskills are getting inundated, as we like, okay, I'm going to go hiking this weekend, last minute. But if it's packed, find some place near you. Find some local place. Like you, I knew you had the Otsego Challenge in Otsego County, right? Yep. Now, if you want to take a weekend off, you can go right over there. I think if you sit on the podcast a few times, you go and do your local preserve. But even just giving back like two hours cleaning up trash in that reserve, you're giving back as a volunteer. Yep. So that I see that as important as hikers. Like maybe that's something we should, all should do is <clears throat> become like a volunteer caretaker of a local preserve. So this Burden Pond project, this one and a half miles, a lot of times it just edited myself doing all this work because pre-pandemic, we could get 30 to 40 people to volunteer. No problem. Helped with the trust. So post-pandemic, last year alone, we had seven work days. We had, I think, 21 people total. Wow. And at least 14 of those were just editing them myself each time, you know, two, two of us each time. Yeah. And it's been tough trying to maintain these things. And it's not just myself. I know many other preserves in the area. So we work with the Rental Land Trust, which is like a conservancy group in the Rental County. And they are having the same problem. They have a volunteer crew of um, people that are retired, but this is what they do for fun. They do patrol maintenance. So they help us out when they can. But I mean, one thing is like we have our work days. And I'm sure we're not the only ones that could absolutely use volunteers. And as hikers, I think we should be able to get back and volunteer because yeah. these, these trails don't maintain themselves. In fact, they get worse themselves without our help. And exactly. Like the Catskill, the Catskill trail crew is a prime example. I mean, one thing that we, it also is understanding how to properly maintain a trail. Like you could, you could build a trail if you don't do drainage, it's just eroding. It's not cleaning itself up. Like every storm, we have to have someone walk the trails and maintain it. Yeah. So I think that was one thing on our first recording, we talked about like, what's one thing that you've been interested in? Interested in see how much of the trails within the Cascos are maintained by volunteers and who they are. So you can do like a self-reporting like, hey, I saw this on this trail. I took care of this, but I didn't have the tools to take care of this. Mm-hmm. And this is how you can contact that person or be directed to that area. Yeah, definitely so, have yeah. to get that going. So yeah, I mean, during the week, I'm pretty much volunteering at some point at least one or two nights a week. And like right now, before this episode, you know, before we start recording, I'm actually working on trim downstairs for the preservation hall to nice. redo, redoing the trim. So I'm painting it in my basement, getting it ready to so be installed this weekend. But then um, April 15th is our first work day of the year on the Narrows. We're going to start. Uh, we're actually adding a new overlook because the oh, nice. overlook is falling apart. It's concrete. And uh, it's a lot more engineering that we can't do as volunteers. It's more infrastructure work. So we're building new ones and I'm adding a, I, I, we apply for grants. So Troy gets these neighborhood improvement grants. So we applied to get native pollinator plants brought in, especially for tributary friendly ones. 
So that's what we're going to try to work on this year. We have a lot of trail to add. We're going to try utilizing more of the open space. And hopefully down the line, we're going to add a birding tower in there for observation tower for oh, nice. all the wetlands, adding more uh, bluebird houses, owl houses to try adding to the environment. And then adding history in there. I mean, so water rights in New York in New York State and the whole country were decided on the Winesco Creek in Troy between the Burden family and the Corning family. And I'm not sure how they're related to the Cornings out in Corning, New York, but uh, they the water rights were decided by basically who who has the rights upriver. And it was done at the Burden Pond, basically where we had the trails. The Burden Pond Dam is based on the water rights in New York State and wow. in the country. So we're actually working on getting a historic marker put in for that about that case because a lot like a lot of the uh i actually i think ed talked about it a lot of the horseshoes and nails in the united states for the civil war were from this area yeah yeah so we're gonna we're gonna try putting that so it's a walking museum so it's educational at the same time i mean this can be done anywhere this can Mm -hmm. be done i mean oneana same thing like where you're seeing the eagles out by your house they sit on top of that old uh tower right by the interstate yeah that was a rail yard Yep, no one of the is the first round uh, roundhouse rail, railroad in the, the world. It's the largest one, yeah. Round yeah. round whatever they call roundhouse. that. Roundhouse, it's the lar- largest roundhouse in the, in the world, yeah. And uh, I think there's also a caboose in there about the first union, mm-hmm. rail union. But you have all these areas like natural spaces around you. Like the, I know the uh, the creek between the interstate and where all the I know the shopping areas are, and I think the Walmart and the Home Depot on one side opposite side of the river from uh the interstate right mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in between there, there's actually areas i know that are green spaces but they're not really utilized and there's some old railroad trestles in there you can put a trail across yeah and there's history i mean there's history there so you're adding in this education this environmental education this historical education in the same thing but unless people do it like i i'm not going to expect the city of troy to maintain these trails they can't they yeah. the volunteers can do this because we can get put the time and effort in and then ask for, hey, can you guys do this and help us do this? Mm. And without volunteers, that's never going to happen. Man. And this is true for all around the state. I see it in the Finger Lakes. I see it in the Adirondacks. I see it down in Long Island area when we do work down there. Especially, I see it in the Catskills. I see it in the White Mountains. If there's no volunteers, nothing happens. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Once, once again, you know, putting all this time, if you're hiking and stuff like that, volunteer, you know, three hours of the year will make an immense impact on any place in, you know, the place you live or in the Catskills. So just exactly. exactly. And if you see something you're like, Hey, you know, we could do this to improve this. Well, one, you could ask about it. And if they say, well, we need help doing it, lead it. Yeah. yeah. And you can say, look, this is the improvement I've done. I, I did this. And you can say, you know, what? that makes this so much better. Like we, we added a new entrance to the preserve two years ago. Mm-hmm. And people are using it every day and it's saying, this is great. This is, adds an, another access to the site and people that before didn't know about it now know about it. We put a giant sign there last year and put trailhead kiosk for information. And it just simple things like that. We're connecting neighborhoods with this trail that yeah. were previously not connected or what they were, they were sketchy. Now more people are using it and, and things like that. Like if you know, green space has been used as a party spot, it's being dumped. There's dumped. The more people you get to visit the area, the more eyes on the property, the less that's likely to happen. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Once again, awesome explanation of, of volunteering and how it helps in this, in our areas, uh, not just in the Catskills. So volunteer. Yeah. Can I do a shameless plug on April 15th at 10 a.m. at uh, absolutely one Campbell Avenue at the Burden Pond Dam in Troy, the Narrows. We absolutely could use volunteer help. 
the more the merrier. I'd be happy to give tours on the on it and do anything I can to promote it. And I'll show up in the Mount Ida Falls. You know, you can see the Postco Gorge, beautiful example of a giant bedrock gorge. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes, man. As always, I will do anything to help out. <laughs> yeah, you got the best platform forward, man. Hey, I I I just I, I hope I hope people volunteer from this. I, that's, that was one of my big things when I first started this. All right, so that kind of winds down the day. Let's uh, let's finish this up with uh, some post hike brews and bites. Uh, where's your favorite place? It doesn't have to be the Catskills, but favorite place to go to get something to eat and or something to drink after uh, after a hike. Well, Ed got my uh, Browns Brewing Company in my hometown. Got to shout them out. Uh, the other thing is Tannersville. The cantina in Tannersville is one of my favorite oh, places. Yeah. Post hike, I do. I will. I and Phoenicia Diner. Uh, other thing is on the east side of the Catskills is Rick Van Winkle Brewing. Oh yeah. That's been a great plot. That, that opened a few years ago, and that's been phenomenal so far. I mean, that the, the food, the beer, everything's great there. And the little nice. town of Saugerties, there's so many like small shops in town of Saugerties and Catskill that it's all worth going to. And you get a view of the Catskills. Exactly. It's all it's all worth it. And once you know, all in all. And then lastly, nice. there's, a, there's a place by me. I we've had our narrows meetings there. It's called the Hill of Mutza. It's gonna be reopening in April. Small little restaurant. Some of the really good food. They got domestic and foreign beers, and now they're going to have actually a full bar. <laughs> and it's nice. right, it's no, right near the RPI campus, Rental Poly Tech. Awesome. So I highly recommend it. Bunch of nice places, man. And that's awesome. Yeah. If you want to get out of the Catskills, if you want to, like, let's lessen your impact, you want to take a weekend off, check out someplace else. There's, there's also so many things outside the Catskills. And then you'll, there's always going to be something. The mountains aren't going anywhere. Correct. I always say that mountains aren't going anywhere. But absolutely, and if not, just go for a drive. I mean, look how much it is to see just by driving, you know, twenty-eight to twenty-three, twenty-three A, ninety-seven down the down the Delaware River. Mm-hmm. So much going on. Just so much. It's so nice. We're very, we're very thankful. I'm very thankful for uh, upstate New York. Trust me, I love it. <laughs> All right, so Carl, thanks for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. Sorry we had to do a second session. Hey, hey, thanks for inviting me, man. I think we covered everything from the first one. I sure hope so. I sure hope so. (laughs) But thank you for joining me, and I I hope you have a great night. You as well, man. Thanks. Hey, guys. I just want to thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and throw down a smooth review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast platform that you use. You can also check daily updates of the podcast, hikes, hiking memes, and local news on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the official website of the show. Remember this, you just keep on living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Wicked, 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 